Having a Gas is the podcast that chats to the great and the good of the creative industries. And in particular, finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for commercials, for cooking to, for dancing to, f***ing to, and more. Today, I'm having a gas with HMD, real name Hamdi Hassan, a rising star in the Manchester underground music scene. Born in Somalia and raised in Denmark, Hamdi put down roots in Manchester as a teenager. Producing music obsessively ever since, he's developed a unique style blending aggressive hip-hop production with his distinctively melodic voice. He's since become one of Manchester's best-kept secrets, drawing huge crowds when he performs. In 2019, HMD caught the attention of Black Butter Records, who signed him up for his debut single, Dean. How's lockdown treating you? All right, you know, can't complain. Working out every day, um, reading, writing, creating. Nothing like the ordinary, you know, cooking. What are you listening to right now? What's occupying your playlist? Oh, mate, what am I listening to right now? Apart from a lot of myself, because I've got like a million references to write to. Um, it's a lot of Spotify, a lot of Spotify rap caviar. Um, if it's not that, then it's America Bar doing the morning. If it's not that, then it's UK, UK rap playlists on Spotify. And also uh, Jay-Z's first album, Reasonable Doubt, which is a classic to me, so it's just a constant. Well, you can't stop spinning that album. Like, you can just have that on every day for the rest of your life. Every day. I think I've been doing that almost every day um, since we went into lockdown. Um, but yeah, man, just a kind of a mix of just stuff that I'm into and also looking at what the Spotify playlists are kind of looking like and you know, trying to take a few gems from them. It sounds like you've got your uh, business head on there in a sense of you're trying to see what's going on, what the scene is doing. Yeah, what what are you what are yeah. you taking from that? I'm just taking from, I'm listening to a lot of Lil Uzi Vert and I'm just kind of taking, taking the patterns and what things are working and what Spotify are looking for um, and kind of just like seeing how I can take the things that work for, that are working on those playlists in my own music. So... Yeah, I'm just, um, my tastes have changed a little bit, but that's because I'm trying to make music that will uh, do well in the charts and, and, and streams. Is there anything you've noticed trending this year? Um, I think what's, what's a lot, I think songs are getting shorter. Um, and I also believe that it's about melody, but also how you incorporate melody and rap um, and also how things look do you know what I mean and how how the the energy curve of, of songs start out quite high and they keep that energy up there so those are the few things I've kind of picked up on um, that I'm using for my own stuff let's talk about a couple of Drake records so if you mm -hmm. listen to um, I've, I've forgotten now what's the uh, what's the opening track on Nothing Was The Same called it's called Tuscan Leather there you go. So if you take Tuscan leather and it creeps in, and then obviously it smacks with a kick drum and you get yeah. a high energy verse, but then you get yeah. a drop out and then and it, and it floats a bit. You compare that yeah. with "Nice for What" that comes in loud, keeps going, keeps going, and doesn't stop. Doesn't stop. Doesn't stop at all. And it's meant to be a club tune. Club tune. So it makes sense. 
Um, but I'm also listening to how people are using their voices, how they're putting um, cadences together, how the, what they're talking about, especially the Rap UK playlist. I'm listening to what they're talking about and see what I can borrow. Um, but yeah, just keeping my eye on what's working, if that makes sense. What do you make of uh, Lil Uzi Vert? I think um, he speaks to the to to the kids of this generation, and on this side of the Atlantic, and also the other side. I feel like his aesthetic, his choices of production, his melody choices are on par with the likes of kind of like Young Thug and Future. Um, and I, I just I just gravitate towards towards it a lot because. Um, it appeals to the 13-year-old version of me that loves fast beats and, and really catchy melodies. Is that, where you're, uh, is that where you're going? Is that where you're positioning yourself? Yeah, that's the bread and butter, man. Yeah. That's the bread and butter. When I'm, a, when I'm a bit older and less cooler, then we can take things a bit di- different way. But I'm very, very, very intentful when it comes to my music and my career at the moment. What um, are the records that repeatedly motivate and inspire you to develop and improve your production you know and, it, and these can be records that you go back to from back when like yeah. reasonable doubt or it can be yeah. what's going on right now but what what is it that gets you up in the morning and pushes you forward um i think drake's catalog is a major major like motivator um he's been able to make the right decisions for himself and also uh play the game um, and I feel like that is always a motivator for me. Um, I feel like Dean is a massive motivator because it's my highest stream song and I want to be able to kind of surpass that and break the break, you know, break that record. Um, what else? Um, just, I've got this innate, innate desire to just be creative at all times. Um, so um, even collaborations uh, motivate me because it gets me out, it gets me in the studio. Um, but if all else fails, I just like tinkering with sound. So it's just, I think with lock, this lockdown, it's kind of brought me back to my basics. I actually like sitting down for hours on end making beats. Well, yeah, uh, because you identify or you first identified as a producer didn't you before you were a, mm-hmm. an artist in your own right yeah and so yeah, who's yeah. who's uh whose production whose production can you repeatedly go back to and keeps you aspirational because one for me is is james blake i can yeah. i'm always surprised by what he's done and never can picture in my head what he's done mm-hmm. to his waveforms and what plugins he's used to get his sound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, James Blake is is a genius, and I agree. Like he's someone you can always like listen to. And be like, how the hell did he do that? Um, as far as production, man, it ranges. It really ranges because for me, it's sound. So um, I could be listening to Joe K on um, on Apple Music, um, where he does the. Selection uh, radio, where you hear all these edits where people from all over the world have made these beats to these big, big hits or vocals that we all recognize. So, like the mashups of those always intrigue me. Um, who else? Um, Metro Boomin, um, M. Honcho's producer. Um, who else? Skepta. Skepta's always someone who's actually 
always kind of like pushed me in a sense I'll hear something he's done and made and I'm like okay cool <laughs> I want to make something like the the last tune with him Young Ads and Chip um, was definitely a big motivator um, as far as sound goes so yeah it's quite varied man I can hear a beat on Instagram and I want to make something similar you know what I mean yeah yeah I mm. feel like um, in order to give people context um First, one thing I want to know is which records, or maybe it's one record, which sounds kicked off the journey. So which one woke you up and you realised, ah, music is what I'm living for now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, we've got to go all the way back to Denmark then when I was like seven or eight. Um, Michael Jackson, The Beatles, um, I think those Red Hot Chili Peppers. I think those were like the first few acts I seen. I was like, whoa, what's this? I want to emulate this. I want to do this. Um, Because I played in bands before actually making music on laptops. Um, So my whole thing was I just want to play music just like these guys and I want to be on stage just like these guys. So yeah, I spent a whole year in front of a TV screen watching all these acts and just, yeah, my eyes were just... My brain was literally changed from that day. I've been chasing that high ever since. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And with those mm. three, those are obviously three landmark artists. They're not yeah. like small names. And I always, yeah. I, I think some artists, the ones with proper humility, uh, are not ashamed to say, "I aspire to the greatest of all time." Whereas you know, a lot of people yeah. like to pride themselves on saying, "Well, my biggest inspiration is an obscure record that no one's ever heard of." But mm-hmm. Frank Ocean at the Grammys was like. My first album, I was listening to Stevie Wonder. And then for this next one, I'm listening to the Beach Boys and the Beatles. It's like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't see, I don't shy away from that. Um, I think it's just a personal ethos. If you're going to do something, try and be the best. Um, but, you know, um, sometimes when you say that out loud, some people want to kind of poke at that and and bring it back down to earth but you know the ones who, who we actually are trying to emulate have been through that journey already so um, you know it's you know be great we're only here for a short amount of time yeah aim for the top and mm. if you yeah. get somewhere near the top then you know job done but you mentioned um, Denmark just there so should mm-hmm. we go back to the start take us through where yeah, let's you do it. where you were born and how you came to be here and everything in between yeah yeah, um, so I was born in Somalia in the 90s. Uh, Civil War kicked off. Uh, my parents went to Denmark, claimed asylum. We grew up in this small little uh, town called Silkeborg near Aarhus. Um, spent my formative years there. Um, got kicked out of school for bullying and then went to a private art school because there was no other school that would take me on. Should we just clarify for listeners that made it, that sounded a bit like you were kicked out of a school because you were bullying other people, but it's the other way around. Isn't no, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was getting bullied, um, and you know they didn't want to do anything about it. So my mum took me out. Um, I ended up at this art school where they taught English, um, drawing, like art, so all the arts, um, drama, acting, music, film, poetry, whatever you can name it. And I caught the bug after like a first lesson of like playing the drums. 
um, and just played in as many bands as I could, um, just, you know, building up my musical, my musical bone, um, covering anything from the Beatles to, to Red Hot Chili Peppers to Blink-182 to, to, you know, anything that was kind of guitar driven with a steady beat. Um, and yeah, it's just, it kind of just developed all my artistic kind of DNA in a sense where I do a bit of acting, a bit of, a bit of drama, a bit of film shooting back in those days when it was quite limited. But I brought all that over to the UK uh, when I moved over here in 2001 to Manchester and quickly realised that, you know, bands, the culture was just different. The culture was completely different. So... You know, people being in bands was, you know, it was, I wasn't, I wasn't in the right place and I wasn't around the right demographic. So, why was that? I was growing up in Moss Side. So, you know, Moss Side has had its reputation from, you know, from back in the day um, for being, you know, I do, you know, it's a, it's a vibrant place, but it's had its history uh, of dealing with, with crime and gangs and stuff like that. And I moved in. Uh, to Moss Side towards the tail end of that. Yeah, I kind of developed my musical bone, came to Manchester, you know, I got mugged for the first time, got introduced to gangs, drugs, the whole lot. And it's like, cool, no one here plays in bands. So how am I going to exercise my creative bone? And it was laptops, it was electronic music, it was Reason, um, it was FL Studio, it was 2013 and kind of just reconnecting with that that bug again and kind of just spending my teen years up until like going to uni just you know indoors and making beats I feel like that brush with real life me and Dixon were talking about this the other day we were saying there's something about you where you are uh, I don't think we'd uh, describe you as you know like a, uh, like a 50 cent you're not like a, yeah. a, a big you know gun toting guy uh, yeah. You know, because you you have quite a spiritual presence, you've got quite a religious yeah. background and quite a, a fair voice. But there's yeah. always something about your character live and when you're making music that has a sense of aggression about it. And so, you know, yeah. you can you, you you know how to handle yourself in dark times. Is that because yeah. of what all these things that have happened to you? Yeah, definitely. I would I would accredit it to that. Because I came from a very idyllic, green, very nice, very polite Danish people you know, some of them had pockets of racism in them. The majority of people were actually quite nice. Um, and not to say people, people in Manchester are not nice. I think they were, were probably the nicest people on, on this little island. But um, Moss Side in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, it was a deprived area and it was dealing with a lot of stuff. So I happened to move in, be super naive and get caught up in the wrong uh, wrong crowd and you just learn you just learn from your mistakes you learn from your cuts and your bruises you learn from you know I'm very fortunate I didn't spend any time in prison but um, I've definitely um, felt the the strong arm of the law um, but all that is just informed who I am today yeah and uh, was there a time when you were more involved in that stuff and thought screw this I'm just going to sit in the studio and make beats yeah, when I got to college, I made a very conscious decision uh, because things were getting a lot more serious. People were getting hurt. Money was starting to flow into pockets, and you know, when money gets involved, things can get things can get you know go left very quick. And yeah, first year of college at Manchester, I decided 
I'm not part of this no more because if I want to do this and I'll do it properly and then, you know, I'll either end up dead or in prison. So I'm going to put my focus on music instead. Is that where the idea came from uh, uh, for Good Ute, one of your big tunes? Um, Good Ute was actually a few years after I had started full-time employment in education, mainstream education. Um, this is my first time working in a professional environment, meeting people who don't share the same background as me, um, being exposed to new things, ex- being exposed to new relationships. And Good Ute was actually a combination of um, just a lot of tension with a particular girl um, and also a lot of tension with uh, friends and family. And, you know, I had a bit of a breakdown in, in, the, in the park and I came home and went to the studio and kind of just created the song and kind of just let my heart out. And, you know, it connected It connected a lot of people. Like when I put it on the, the winter tape, I just didn't, I didn't anticipate it at all, but Good Juke's gone down as a as a classic now. It's a fan favourite. Yeah, fan favourite. Children of the Seas are big, big fans of it. I mean, when we play it now, people know, especially in Manchester, people know it word for word. So it's just interesting how our most inner, inner deep truths um, connect with people. Yeah, I've, um, with what you were saying about being at college and trying to get out of the rougher side of life, I've always, I've always felt, as long as I've been aware of you, that there's a parallel between your story, you know, the, the, the story that frames you as an artist, and the same one with Kendrick Lamar, a good kid in a mad city. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Kendrick is an amazing artist. I feel quite lazy whenever I hear, whenever I hear his music because I feel like I could do more. Uh, but it's, there's similarities, you know, there's similarities, um, so similarities between mine and his story. Um, and he's taken his art to a to a whole new level, and has been able to, you know, um, tell the stories that he's been through and help those millions and millions of people around the world. I don't know. I don't want to go too much into analysing the rap scene because I'm really, at the end of the day, no yeah. connoisseur. But it's not often you get someone who is actively announcing that he wants to be a positive influence like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes into the deeper kind of psyche of music and music industry nowadays and what archetypes are perpetuated to to sell music and Kendrick's, Kendrick is a fresher breath air in the sense that you know he's not afraid of helping people through his music through his honesty yeah. um, and, I st- and I feel you can still do that and still be a, a platinum selling artist yeah. you just got to figure out how to do it yeah yeah so you don't buy into the myth of um, the worse things are around you, the better you'll be as an artist and as a commercial presence. Yeah, I used to believe that. I used to believe that, but I don't anymore. Um, I feel like um, as long as you challenge yourself, as long as you're honest with yourself, as long as you allow yourself to go through new experiences, you'll be as potent as you started out. And I mean by that in, in the art that you that you create and share with the world. Um, because, you know, in the past year, we've had so many deaths, uh, not only here, but abroad as well, as far as like um, high profile artists. So um, I don't know. I just, I just don't feel it's healthy. Um, I definitely create with my demons to say, to say it so, but I don't create new demons 
because it would affect my real my my life and you know I wouldn't want to do that just because I want to make my art poem and I feel like there's other ways to do that. I feel like there's been a lot of deaths and I think one that caught your attention or or resonated with you a fair bit was Pop Smoke. Mhm. Yeah, because we I think we were all looking forward to what was going to come out of that because I, you were aware of Drill before I was, but his sound was um, he, he became the uh, as far as I can tell the landmark artist of of Drill, and it was about to t- he was about to take it forward in the UK as well as abroad. Yeah, he was massive, and it's a shame that he passed away. Um, you know, we we spent a lot of time listening to his music, um, but it's another it's another tragic one where you know you, the life catches up to you, um, and you know it's it's R.I.P. Uh, pop, but you know it's it's a shame. It could be he could be a massive, massive star. Um, but this just you know it kind of relates to my point that you know you don't need new demons in in your life to you know take your music further. Uh, we just kind of need to look in inside a bit more. As cliche as that sounds, but yeah, we were looking forward to to just seeing how it how it you know blossoms. But his music will live on. And, you know, Drill's going to be around for, for a lot longer, I think. Yeah, and one of the things with Pop that was uh, that just set him apart from everyone else is another thing that... It's another parallel with you. Pop's voice was unmistakable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'd say that's the same for you. And um, at some point, I'm guessing you weren't, you weren't singing. When did that start? When did you start developing the voice as your instrument? So when... You remember this as well. When I had my unit... Um, in, on National National Road, my first, my second studio. Um, I got to a point where I was holding sessions with artists, but I just didn't feel like they were doing the beats any justice. So I started rapping over them. But rapping, because I've been listening to rap for so long, I, I hold it in high regard. So people like Nas, Jay-Z, the Wu-Tang Clan, you know, these, these top lyricists, I just didn't feel... I was meant for that, and I just hold it in high regard for me to do it, um, to do it in a second, you know, to do it in a, in a, in a way that I feel like, I just didn't feel like I'd be a good rapper, and I felt like singing, which I've done in the past, just felt a lot more natural, um, but, but my beats were still much catered to raps, um, so I had to change my beats a bit more, and just find my voice. I didn't like my voice at, at start. Um, I, felt, I felt like I sounded a bit hollow, a bit round. I didn't sound as piercing and strong as I wanted to be. Um, but I developed that over the years. I mean, I've been making more. I've been making. I've been producing longer than I've been recording. Um, so it's been it's been developing now for the past few years. Yeah. How? What? What have you done to Im- to improve the voice and the vocal technique? What you know? What have you been practicing? Yeah. So I've been practicing diction, so being a lot clearer not only in recording, but also just my general day-to-day speaking to people. Um, and also a lot of it is actually technique. So mixing technique, recording technique, um, you know, mixing, knowing the right VSTs, um, a combination of all those things kind of have allowed me to, to progress to a point where my voice is punching through the mix as I like it. Yeah. That's uh, the, vo- the voice. I was speaking to... Jeremy Hagri, the mix engineer, yesterday, and that's one of the things mm-hmm. I've put forward. I don't know if you found this. I always find the voice 
to be maybe the hardest element to mix because of its huge dynamic range and it's uh, well each yeah. voice is different it's not like you know well, yeah that's it yeah but each voice is very different I mean <clears throat> I have worked with many artists in Manchester and I tend to save once I've actually figured out their voice and how it works and, and how what the EQ needs to be or what the compressors need to be, I save it. I save it as a deep, as a as a template because you know the more templates I have, the more I can try things out and see which ones work. Um, and for me, I feel like I've kind of found what works for me, for me vocal wise. Um, but also, I've, I've kind of slowed down my my work with with artists because I'm focusing on kind of developing my own sound. So, yeah, I found vocals super tough. For the first three years, I was recording uh, myself. I'd, I'd find it quite small, not that punchy. My EQs were all off. I didn't really understand how the compression works, um, but now I do, and I'm kind of able to, um, you know, compete with the best of the best out there at the moment. Yeah, I know there are some uh, there are some people that you've collaborated with a lot on the Manchester scene, um, who's. Uh, voices. I imagine there's one, for example, uh, Prima. My imagine yeah. my my suspicion is because she's so well trained, her voice just sits right in the track without much work. Yeah, yeah, it could. It literally could just be like an EQ and a compressor, and like you know, you reverb and delay. But I've got a tech. My my ears come from the '90s pop era, where you know the vocals were just. Like the beat was there, but then you can imagine being in cinema and you've got this big dude just sat in the middle of everything and it's just this this big vocal. And, you know, with with the help of like an extra like CLA uh, vocal kind of, uh, what's it? Yeah, the CLA vocal VST and, and kind of like using a vocal rider and stuff, I've been able to make sure like the vocal's nice and big. And with Prima, she's just so talented, so... It's you know it's not that difficult, but when so we, when you have someone who's less experienced, uh, not only do you have to kind of figure out you know where they're going wrong as far as recording technique goes, but also you know around diction, around cadence, around finding this the the the, the gaps in the beat, finding where you sit, uh, the key. So there's a lot of things to it, but someone like Prima, like it's just so easy to, to work with. And she's one of many artists in the Manchester scene who you've collaborated with. And uh, mm-hmm. there was obviously a point where you've been producing a lot from college onwards, sitting in the studio doing a lot of beats, to a point where mm-hmm. almost everyone I know on the Manchester scene wanted to do a collaboration with you and wanted you to produce one of mm-hmm. their tracks. When did that start happening? When did they mm-hmm. start paying attention to you? I think it was just, I think it was after Winter Was Out, 2016, and I shot my video and I was on Complex Magazine. I did a premiere there and got a, got a play on one extra with um, DJ Target. Um, I think people took notice of how well the EP was uh, was received and released. Um, Shouts out to Tunde from BPM. He was working with me at the time. Um, I think without tooting my horn too much, I think... Um, I'm an artist, artist. I was an artist, artist, artist in the sense that a lot of the people who were responding well to my music were artists from Manchester. And I think the main thing that people were saying was just how well it sounded. 
Um, but I had a lot, of, a lot of help from T4K who helped me mix, helped me mix the tune, uh, the the EP. Um, I think it was, it was just fresh. I think not only myself, but a lot of people were coming out at the same time. So like someone like um, DDP was coming out at the same time. Sleazy, Abnormal Sleeps. Um, you know, there was so many people that were coming out at the same time. There was a huge, there was a good energy at the time. And, you know, I was just fortunate enough for people to respond well to my music. Is there anyone uh, on the scene at the moment producing stuff, making records you want to give a shout out to who you're particularly uh, in admiration of? Yes, Lytech. Lytech is absolutely smashing it. And YJ, who's behind a lot of the stuff that age does. Um, great guys, super talented. And, you know, they understand what the market wants and... You know they're doing it. They're doing it huge. These guys have got top ten, top ten hit records under their belt. In terms of the broader industry, uh, mm-hmm. whose artists or which artists? I know we've mentioned Drake a few times, so I'm guessing he's yeah. going to come, come up again. Which artists <laughs> are? Uh, you know, whose success do you want to match? I've thought about that loads. I've thought about that loads. I mean, it'd be a combination of Craig David, Skepta. But in regards to Craig David, I don't want no comedian coming pee on my parade. Yeah, yeah, because I remember after a, the, the PR around Bo Selector, the show, was that it had ruined mm-hmm. Craig David's career and that's why he got mm-hmm. into hiding. And then mm-hmm. the PR story when he came back was that that's not why he went into hiding and it was fine. Um, he just wanted to grow up a bit. But you yeah. can't sh- you can't shake the fact that your mind went straight to Bo Selector when you said Craig David. You can't help it at all. And I've been researching a lot around Craig David, and actually just a lot around. I was thinking about why there isn't an equivalent of a Jay Z and Beyonce in the UK. Like really powerful, really talented black people um, who are almost. Who, yeah, I've just been thinking loads about, um, you know, black culture in, in the UK, um, the UK market and how it's been consuming music, especially people of colour. Um, is there a perceived ceiling? If so, what does it look like? Um, so I've been thinking about, I've been looking into Craig David a lot and kind of just understanding his his rise and also his demise, but also his his rise again. Um, the relationship between him and, and one of the guys from Artful Dodger and how that came to be. So yeah, I'm really interested in history and music history and how things have panned out. But like, as just to relate to your question, it'd be a, it'd be a combination of Craig David and, and Skepta because Skepta just, he's been able to just do things on his terms and the world's come to him on his terms but also been able to be a, a commercial success. I do know what you mean when you're uh, talking about influential cultural leaders of, you know, of, eth- of ethnic minorities in the UK, let's say. Obviously, mm-hmm. race mm-hmm. relations in the US are a very, very different thing to in the UK. But I do know what you mean. No one's done the Jay-Z thing of don't own their market and then take over the business president of Def Jam mm-hmm. and now... Mm-hmm. Possibly, you know, one of the most influential people in all of music. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Part of me suspects that um, Stormzy might be on the way there. 
because he's quite a powerful presence. Yeah, he is. I, he's very powerful. Um, but the thing is, what Beyonce and Jay-Z have done, they've been doing it for 20 years, you know, releasing consistently good albums and touring around the world. So we'll see how far, we'll see how far songs go. I'm crossing my fingers and my toes for him. Are we also talking about people like Dr. Dre as influenced people? Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. Well, yeah, I think, you know, because part of it is probably also uh, to do with the population that you select from, maybe, and how large it is, because yeah. obviously um, most of these people are artists, and most mm-hmm. artists, my guess is, they are not as motivated to become business leaders, which is ultimately what Jay-Z yeah. and Dr. Dre are, they're business uh, moguls. But yes, and I don't know how much that happens in the UK as such. I can't think of many mm-hmm. examples, but I know what you mean. Now now the idea is there. It would be good to see mm-hmm. um, that kind of a transformation. And is this mostly because obviously you're an educator, you, you're a youth leader as well. You've done a lot mm-hmm. of work with kids. Mm-hmm. Do you, would, mm-hmm. Are you just thinking in terms of wanting to see role models for people? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see, I mean, we're going into it. We're in the next... 10 years, we're going to have a whole generation that's grown up on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. So we're going to have a brand new demographic that are very different from any generation before it. So with that in mind, I'm just really, I'm really conscious about the trajectory of my own career and what I want to leave behind as far as the legacy goes. Um, and that's why I, I'm, I'm thinking about people like, you know, uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce and Stormzy and Craig David and Skepta because I feel like these people are going to be quite, um, are going to be like, you know, your archetypes to follow in, the, in, in, in times to come. And also for myself, I've got a bit of a business background, so I'm starting to understand Kanye West a bit more and understand why he's, why he's into product so much and why the music is not second, but more of a, uh, more of a, a, a kind of a backup in a sense to what, uh, in a sense to when it comes to like the Yeezy line and also just Kanye West in general. Uh, but yeah, these are just like the thoughts are running around in my head. I think with Kanye, there's always, there's always been a sense that he wants to absolutely own his IP and he's frustrated by his intellectual property. And he's frustrated by the fact that however, um, however, how successful he becomes, he can, he still has to be at the mercy of another patron. I mean, in his legendary and difficult interview with uh, Sway, he said, what did he say? As powerful as my music is, Lucien Grange still cuts my music checks. And that, so that leads us up to a bigger, bigger, bigger conversation about music and the music business and labels and contracts, which could be a whole nother Zoom. Um, but, you know, I'm very, very understanding of where music industry is going to be and where it's going. And I definitely want to replicate what Kanye has done and go into actually creating products and services because, I mean, the bottom line is this, uh, one stream from Spotify is less than one pence. So with those type of odds, odds against you, I mean, it's, it's easy to get into music, but to make a living off music, it's a whole different story. Yeah, 
It's uh, mm. the the distribution of the successful is quite steep. So I was looking at the Spotify global top fifty this week, and uh, the weekend is currently uh, smashing it with his new single, and he's getting around six million streams a day. And um, you know, I don't have exact figures to quote, but mm-hmm. a million a million streams is in the order of maybe you know one to three thousand. Pounds for yeah, a million streams, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so if you're if you're doing six million streams a day, you're probably all right. But yeah. the number of people who do that is it. The fraction is scary, isn't it? It's super scary. I mean, it's easy to get into music now. I mean, it's really really easy to shoot a video. It's really easy to market and promote yourself. But to make even a teacher's wage at thirty six grand a year. I mean, you, you've got to do millions and millions of streams and they've got to be legitimate streams from legitimate accounts. So, you know, I feel like artists are going to become business people if they want to kind of, if they want to exist beyond streams and they exist beyond £2,000 a, a month. Yeah, yeah. And um, I know you said this could be a whole other Zoom, so we might reserve... Uh, the subject as such for that, but we have to touch mm-hmm. on the facts as we haven't done yet. Your uh, we have to touch on your experience with uh, Black Butter, Sony Records, and what yeah. it's been like yeah. being scouted and being on the fringes yeah. of the mainstream and your experience there. Yeah, yeah. So my experience has been a, a pleasant one so far. Actually, um, I've been fortunate enough to build a relationship with um, A and R's and senior A and R's at Black Butter, which is a subsidiary of uh, Sony. Um, and that was by way of work uh, through Sunday. Um, I'm on. I'm going to give you my 10% warning now because my buyer is on 10%. Okay, good. Um, so I was working with Sunday. This is 2017. I'm playing at a venue in London. He invites a friend down who is in this holding bu- Sony building. She sees me perform live. She she finds me online, shares my music with another A and R, and that leads to a meeting in the Sony building with uh, Black Butter, and the A and R's in there, and I just play music, and the music stuck, and the music they liked, um, and that you know turned into a single deal, and you know it was, and if I'm completely honest, it was a bit of a nerve wracking experience because. You hear all the horror stories, you hear all the nightmares, and I didn't want to be another person sat here talking about how I got screwed over by label. So I've had to, you know, be super vigilant and super just on it. Um, and there were some incidents where things could have gone left, but between me and Tunde, we were able to kind of see through the play, see through the smoke screens. And, and this is not smoke screens from the actual building, but just individuals who were had ulterior motives. Um, and yeah, like the rollout of Dean was really good. Got, you know, got people to, to play it, got DJs to roll it out. And, you know, a, a year and a half, two years later, it's on a quarter million plays, which is not bad. And also, you know, we've got two more singles on the way with them. And I've built up a really good relationship with the A&R that I'm working with and also the senior A&R. And I've, I'm, you know, explicitly said to them that I want to be a part of this building and I want to compete with the best of the best. So, you know, they've taken that on board, and we're just building this up as organically as possible. You know, this, you know, I'm, I'm not managed. I'm, I'm working this on my own. So, 
I'm looking at the contracts on my own. I'm submitting music on my own, and I don't mind it at all because it's not too it's not too hectic. We're in a lockdown, so it gives me something to focus on. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been pleasant and it's been good because I've done so many years of working on myself as an artist, and I'm I know what I want. So when you know what you want, you can spot what you don't want, and you can address that as quickly as possible. So yeah, overall, it's been a very fruitful experience so far. Good. Well, I know you're um, running out of time, and um, we've got more to talk about, so we'll do this again. We do. Yeah. yeah please. That'd be amazing. I just thought it worth mentioning. Uh, I can't remember who said it to me. Someone brought a quote to my attention recently regarding COVID nineteen. Uh, mm-hmm. They said uh, one day you'll uh, one day you'll be doing something and you'll realize you haven't thought about it yet. And so I think I'm quite grateful for this conversation insofar as we've been able to go through the whole thing and not talk about virus, lockdown, politics, medicine, epidemiology. Because I know that your your first ever real tour was shelved by coronavirus, wasn't it? So Yeah, yeah, five-day tour. Myself and Greg were ready to get on on the road, but hopefully September. We'll see how it all plans out. Hey, the road will still be there as long as there are people on it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. As long as we just, you know, keep warm in the off-season, we'll be ready for the season. Great. Cool. Yeah. So uh, I'll let you get back to it. And it's been a blessing talking to you again. Likewise, Greg. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Let's do yeah. this again. Let's definitely do it. We'll speak soon, yeah? Speak soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, or if you've got any questions or would like to be featured as a guest, do get in touch. I can be reached at greg at gasismusic.co.uk. That's Greg with one G, by the way. G-R-E-G. Thanks again for listening. 